right now take your Bibles and open up to Luke 12. Raise your hand if you're uh, in the NCAA bracket tournament. Raise your hand. Okay. No, let's do, let's, do, let's do that again. I think some of you are lying. Raise your hand if you filled out a bracket. Three, four, four of us. What, what are the rest of you doing right now? Like, yeah, and NCAA basketball, it's so fun. If you don't watch any basketball at all throughout the whole year, like me, and then the tournament happens, it's, it's that much more fun. You have no idea who these teams are and all the rest, so I'll just kind of meet with the three of you later, and we'll talk about our bracket. <laughs> Other than that, I'll hold all my remarks to myself. Let's get to the Bible, uh, verse 1. I'm going to do a little reading, then I'm going to pray. And, and this portion of Scripture is so special to me. If you really, really use your imagination, you've got to do that when you're reading the Bible. And put yourself in the context of what Jesus was facing there under the pressure he was dealing with and the scrutiny and criticism and the impending doom of the cross that he was marching towards. And all of that was happening. And Jesus, if you would, is looking for friends, people that he could make eye contact with, people he could talk to and would listen to. And he's looking for people to pour into even in the midst of the hardest of days. Even in the midst of the biggest trials, he's looking for people to educate and to equip and to tap, if you would, in this march towards heaven. Tag, you're it. I want you to understand that because that's really what's going to save you and I from a life of monotony and weirdness and the difficulties and the trials. You don't even have to raise your hand, but if you've been through difficulty or trials or monotony, join the club. It's called life. And Jesus gives us the secret sauce of life, the secret sauce of how to make things spicy and relevant, how to redeem the days. And here's how it is. You live on purpose, God's purpose, for his glory and others' good. We've been learning that for years. The whole secret of life is to live for God's glory and others' good. And if you begin to live for your own glory and your own good, it's just a matter of time before you're severely disappointed and all kinds of messed up. Let's read a little bit, and then I'll back up and pray, and then we'll jump into the text. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12 in the Gospel of Luke. In the meantime, that means at the same time that he's just been kicked out of this dinner with the Pharisees. He's just been criticized and scrutinized for not using some Purell before he ate. Remember that? He stuck his hands right in the taters. Looked him in the eye. They gave him the ceremonial washing of the water. Hey, wash your hands first. He's like, nah, I'm good. And he got in trouble for it. But he used it as a teachable moment. He said, guys, you're just too religious. You're too, you're too stuffy. You're too stoic. You're adding burdens to people. And I don't know how that teaching, this portion treated you last week but to consider the temptation for religious folks and if you're looking for religious folks you found them here we are the temptation for religious folks is to come up with our own little set of ceremonial rules that we need to do in order to get closer to the lord and if you don't do those rules you're not closer to the lord and you impose those on yourself and you get all bound up and weird and then even worse than that you impose those same rules on your friends your family and your neighbors well, you didn't do that and you haven't done this? Well, you can't anywhere near be by the Lord. And I would just challenge you again to back up, maybe go on iTunes and download the teaching and reconsider how mad and frustrated Jesus is at those who create their own rules to get nearer to the Lord. Create their own system in order to stay clean in God's eyes. 
This is what we do naturally in our mind. We're constantly scanning our intentions and our motives and our actions and other people's as well. Am I good enough? Are they good enough? Did I do it right? And all the while, Jesus says, look at me. Look what I've done for you. And don't get confused or unfocused on what you're doing. Well, check this out. Right at the very same time, verse 1. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, (laughs) <laughs> so that they trampled one another. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there's nothing covered that will be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him, whom after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Would you stop right there and with me pray? As we ask the Lord to honor his word and honor this time together. Father, in Jesus' name, now we have set aside this time to study your word, to gather together, to be reminded of the things of God, to seek the things of heaven. And we pray for your help in doing so right now. I love to read and then pray. And as we pray, Lord, we're not saying, here we are, we know a bunch. We're saying, here we are, just make it right. Fix us. See if there be any wicked way in us and then lead us in the way everlasting. And I'll be the first to admit, Lord, that I want you to take the wheel this morning and to lead us where you want us to go. Thank you again for your word, which is powerful and able to do what we cannot do for ourselves. So we humble ourselves before you. And we ask now that your word would not return void, but it would accomplish that which you set it out to do. That it would discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, Lord, the very motives. Lord, we pray for the kiddos in their classes. Lord, Eddie upstairs teaching. My, My wife on the other side teaching a class. Lord, Jen Metcalf teaching down below. Lord, Ariel watching the little guys and gals. Lord, all these people just teach you, bless them. Bless them. Bless the kids, Lord. Even as I was at that Young Life banquet last night, just there raising money and support for the kids. Lord, we pray for our youth. We, We pray, Lord, for the schools. We pray, Lord, for the next generation. Lord, we've all been that generation. We've been the youth. We've been in school. Now we pray for them. Help us, Lord. I pray for the parents here. Lord, the ones that have little guys and gals, I'm one of those parents. Lord, would you bless them to be the educators at home in the things of the gospel, the things of grace and mercy and truth and love. We just thank you, Jesus. And we're going to sit now under the teaching of your word and ask that you would raise us up, Lord, to be your kids. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. I forgot to remind you guys and myself to take your phones out and silence them, so go ahead and do that if you wouldn't mind, and uh, we'll go ahead and jump right into the text here. Look at verse 1 again. It says, in the meantime, when innumerable multitudes of people had gathered together, the principles that you guys have been learning here and that we've been seeing throughout every book and in every chapter and in every story of the Bible is that no matter what's going on around you or what's going on behind you or what's going on somewhere apart from you here's the principle jesus is always doing stuff 
I like this phrase, in the meantime, like stuff's happening and Jesus is doing things. Almost like there's a squabble in the house and there's these crowds everywhere and Jesus kind of ducks below all of that. He says, guys, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. What would an innumerable crowd, okay, that is rioting and trampling each other look like? And Jesus is able to grab the attention of the 12. It says to his disciples. He's talking to the 12 in my opinion. There could be more eavesdropping or looking in or maybe somebody recording or CNN was there doing fake news or something. I don't know. I don't know what was happening. Somebody, you know. Here's, here's the principle. No matter what you feel, no matter what's happening, you need to believe, because that's beyond your feelings, you need to believe that Jesus is doing stuff. On one side in our story here, Jesus is getting attacked and criticized. Look at the first two verses prior to the verse I just read. I'll read it to you. It's not cool. Here's what it says. It says, and he, as he said these things to them, the scribes and Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and speaking to ca- seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. What? You ever left a dinner party with the people doing just that? That's not a very good dinner party. Everyone's mad at you looking for something to just put you on the cross for. And as he walks out of that dinner party, a bunch of people, or should I say, let's be honest, maybe a handful of haters. There's just a handful. Just enough to get your attention. And then he walks out the door, and there is a multitude of supporters, fans, observers, acquaintances, not necessarily friends and disciples, but people there that are waiting and wanting something from him, the multitudes. He's got these two groups I love our Savior, because he looks at one, looks at the other, and then he looks for the ones who are really dialed in. He looks for the ones that are his disciples, his buddies. He's not distracted by the haters, which I can get distracted by the haters. You get one or two people on your Facebook feed that hate you, and that's all you're doing. You're Facebook stalking them, and pretty soon you're scrolling through their feed, and you're back in 2008 trying to find some dirt on them, you know, and just... Uh, You know, just one or two haters is all you or I need to get us distracted. Another danger Jesus will bring out today is not this small group of Pharisees and haters that will come against you, but the larger group of distractors. These ones who will just get you kind of with the, the, the crowds, the ones that aren't necessarily into what you're doing, but they're hoping maybe they'll see a miracle or get their bellies fed or their ears tickled. Jesus doesn't look at either of those crowds. Instead, he pours into the people that he is leading. A couple principles come out in that. Number one, whatever's happening in your life, whatever you feel like, whatever challenges you're going through, whatever difficulties, whatever, maybe you're just bored here. Maybe life's just boring for this very small season. You need to settle in as an adult, as a Christian. You know what? This is a good day. Jesus is using this day. Things are happening today. As a matter of fact, just this last weekend, I was processing this and kind of a couple events that were not the most enjoyable and a couple scenes that were just kind of blah. And I just said, you know what? It all matters. It all counts. Everything counts. There are those days in your life where you know it counts. Super rich and raw and real. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. Not so much that time or those times, but this time is so good. And the Lord would say, I'm doing stuff all the time. In the meantime, Luke uses that word. Jesus is doing things. So let's just apply that principle to our life before we move into the text. How's it going with you right now? Is your life perfect? Okay. okay. Is, it, is, it, uh, is, it, is it par, at least par? You know, just kind of like, just, you know, just, how about subpar? Is your life subpar? Like things are just kind of crazy? You know, well, it depends on where you're looking, you know. If you're looking on Facebook, then yeah, it's perfect, you know. 
If you come to my house and look in the fridge, it's subpar for sure, you know, the real life. And here's a couple other questions, you know. Are, are things challenging for you or, or even difficult? Maybe things are spiraling out of control. How's your family life? How's your, how's your health? What about your finances? How about just your overall happiness? Are you a happy person? The number one drug prescribed in America is antidepressants. Number one drug. All the of all the people that are going to the doctors, I think something's wrong. Okay? The number one drug is here's a happy drug. This should make you happy. Your problem is you're not happy for, for whatever reason, a variety of reasons. One of the greatest promises Jesus gives us in the scriptures is John 16, 33. He says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, or, or happiness, really. He goes on to qualify it, though. He says, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And so right now, if you're, if you're honest at all, I, I bet you're going through something. Something's not right. There's a loss, there's a hole, there's a challenge, there's a, a knot in your stomach somewhere, there's a fear, something in the, something's nagging you. Man, just be honest. And the Lord says, yeah, I know, I know that. Be of good cheer, though. I've overcome the world. In this world, you will have tribulation. It's going to be nar-nar, bro. It's going to be tough. Jesus said this in John 16, by the way, on the way to the cross. He knew it was, and he wasn't running from it. He was marching toward it. As Christians, I, I love the good days. I love it when my NCAA bracket is doing better than my wife's. It's rare. Rare. She, I don't know how she does it, you know. I love it when I'm, when I'm successful, and when I'm not challenged. I'm just, ah, oh, I love it. Those are good days. They're not that often, but they do happen. I've got pictures on Facebook to prove it. Then there's the rest of the days, okay, where it's just, you know, rain in the forecast for the next hundred years. You know, what am I going to, you know, my lawn's out there with an inch of water. Like, I just got enough. We've got enough water. We're good, you know. Do you believe that it's all good? Can you believe that? Can you do, have grateful hearts and be of good cheer we need to believe this it's in the meantime jesus is always doing something and again if you're just a principal thinker or you're gonna go to work tomorrow and you got all kinds of stuff it'd be so fun to go to work and do what you need to do and all the responsibilities and all the burdens and just smile and say so glad i'm a christian for my jesus is going to cause all things to work together for good He's doing things. I feel like these guys are hating me right now. Jesus could easily say, hey, guys, did you see what they said to me? That's so mean, you know. He could have went to the ACLU and, you know, got some help from Jay Sekulow. And he could have, you know, could have went on the war. He could have done a bunch of stuff. No, no. He instead, listen to what Jesus does. Instead of getting distracted by all of the supporters and all of these people gathering and the small group of haters, he finds those who he has been commissioned to lead closer to the kingdom of heaven, and he pours into them. This is going to save you from so many distractions and pains. There will always be people that are mad at you, hating you, picking you apart, just the way it's going to be. Don't worry about it. Stop it. There will also be people who God's given to you to lead and to cover and to shepherd and to bring closer to God. Those are the ones who you should come near to and find and identify. Jesus does that. He's leading others to God and teaching about his kingdom. And I don't, sometimes I get distracted by all the stuff around me, and he instead stays focused on what God has commissioned him to do. And that is, again, one of the ways to endure hard times and trying days is to stay focused on leading others to God, working for the kingdom of heaven, 
keeping your eyes on the prize. Now, if it's all about you and your comfort and your NCAA brackets and what people think of what your success rates, you're inevitably going to crumble under the disappointments of life. Okay, because it's just too hard and too disappointing to focus on yourself. Living for others is what God would have us to do. Read verse 1 again. It says, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, here we see Jesus warning his disciples about the traps of life that were soon or later going to face these two different traps he talks about the leaven of the pharisees which is hypocrisy which is not necessarily you can maybe think of hypocrisy in a lot of different terms the word hypo the greek word i'm not going to say it but the greek word for hypocrisy literally means a play actor somebody who isn't somebody but is pretending to be that person now you've heard it said before about churches people don't like to go to church because it's full of hypocrites right you've heard people say i don't want to go it's full of hypocrites and i just say join the club you'll fit right in you know you're you're you too are a hypocrite you know and 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 a hypocrite is not somebody necessarily who says they're going to do one thing and does the other okay to me that's just a human right that's just that's the struggle i have all kinds of high aspirations i don't want to do and i end up doing and i i do want to do and i can't do and and I don't necessarily think that's hypocrisy. I think that's just the human struggle, okay? That's just, it's, we, we're just failures. We're just not good at many things. A hypocrite, though, it's not somebody who says they're going to do something and then doesn't do it. A hypocrite is somebody who wants you to believe that they're doing what they're not doing. Okay, so it's another level of deception. I'm not just trying to do something and failing, I'm trying to do something failing, and I want you to think I succeeded at what I tried to do and failed at doing, but I actually tried to do and did succeed, even though I didn't succeed and I failed, and I want you to think I succeeded. That's the hypocrite. And Jesus nailed these guys. He says, guys, you've cleaned up the outside so well. Crazy. You guys look so legit. These hats you made for yourself, these big Pharisee hats, those are crazy. Where do you get those? Oh, your mom made it for you? Cool. Anyways, where do you, you, know, where do you get these big sleeves and these robes? And the bigger the robe, the bigger the hat, the bigger the guy. You're just like, wow. And Jesus was saying, but I, I see on the inside, though, and it's like a dead man's tomb. You're, you're pretending. You're not even trying to really accomplish anything righteous. You're just wanting others to think you are. And that's really the danger of hypocrisy, wanting others to think you're more spiritual than you really are. And Jesus is going to warn us what that would lead to and to stay away from that. And just imagine again Jesus. Just kind of use your mind. He gets out of this, this dinner. He's in big trouble. He's like, whoa, those guys are a bunch of crazy hypocrites. Those guys are nuts. And so he finds his buddy. He says, guys, I need to tell you what's going on in there so you don't do it. And then he warns his disciples in the midst of this innumerable crowd. What were the disciples thinking? Can you imagine if Jesus, you're following him, and everywhere he goes, he gets in trouble with a small group of people, but he attracts a huge group of people? You may find yourself tempted to think that you're part of the successful team. Look what Jesus is doing. Like, yeah, there's some haters out there, but Lord, look how many people love us. And the Lord says, hey, I want you to be careful of that trap as well, the, the fear of man, the, the, the fear of popularity, the temptation of power. And every man and every woman who finds himself surrounded by a crowd of fans and supporters and looky-loos is going to be faced with that same temptation to not let that go to their head and then let that lead all of their decisions. And so Jesus grabs his boys in the midst of both camps, both temptations. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't also worry about what all the people are thinking. Instead, you focus on what the Lord thinks of you and you will do just 
fine. Now, Jesus covers both of these dangers for us today. I think it's really pragmatic and, should I say, basic and applicable to our lives. Uh, and he wants us to avoid both of these dangers because the snare of popularity will lead to hypocrisy, which ultimately will lead to death. And the fear of man, rather than the fear of the Lord, will lead to going to hell. And we're kind of trying to avoid death and hell together. Those are two things on my to-do list to not be a part of every day. And hypocrisy and popularity will lead us to those camps for sure. And I'll tell you what, maybe the disciples were uh, falling into that temptation. And maybe Jesus was seeing it in their eyes. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure how Jesus put this together, if it was on the fly. The very final verses of our text today. Jesus will say take no thought for what you're going to say the Holy Spirit will tell you and I just think Jesus was doing that right here when he saw what's going on I said guys focus on me now look look at verse 1 in the red where he says beware of the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy a couple things come up there that don't make any sense to us at least applicationally leaven oh be careful of the leaven how many bakers out there you got any bakers people that make stuff you know uh, one uh, the rest of you, you need to figure life out and uh, so uh, we all know leaven is yeast you know it's necessary for the rising of bread and the baking of things and you know it's all it required in a lot of different uh, ingredients and a lot of different recipes and all of the rest in that day that would make more sense beware of the leaven of the pharisees leaven in the biblical context uh, almost every single time speaks of evil or sin and it goes all the way back to the book of Exodus where they were instructed to make unleavened bread on the night of the Passover feast, which when we take communion, it's unleavened bread. There's no yeast in it. It's a flat bread. If you throw a little yeast in that same recipe, it will become a very poofy bread and like a French bread or a sourdough or you know, there's all kinds of breads or whatever the case is. Unleavened bread, though, would make sense to them because leaven changes everything. And how much leaven does it take to leaven a lump? It starts with L, rhymes with it'll. A little. Have you guys read the Bible before? A little leaven leavens the whole lump is what Jesus said. It's not a nursery rhyme. It's the Bible. And so Jesus is saying, guys, leaven is nuts. And we would agree, you know, we're not going to go to the, you know, J.C. Market and dump all their leaven in the, you know, garbage. It's not about that. It's a principle. He's saying, guys, just a little bit of hypocrisy, it'll, it'll jack you up your whole deal. And I have preached on sin. I've studied sin. I battle sin just like you all do every single day. And here Jesus brings up this sin of hypocrisy. And I'm aware of all the other sins. Most of the time when I do counseling with a couple or a man or a woman that has found themselves struggling with sin, usually it's not hypocrisy that they bring up. Yeah, hypocrisy is my biggest issue. You know, I just struggle with it. Really? Really? You know, usually it's something else, a little more easy, tangible. You can put it in a file. Jesus here is teaching on the sin of hypocrisy, and I wonder how many Christians here this morning are dealing with your sins, for sure, and you should. But hypocrisy is not really on your top ten list. Not really worried about hypocrisy. It's not that big a deal. Jesus here says, no, no, just a little bit will leaven the whole lump. Okay, a little leaven will impact everything. Your, your family, your, your witness. People can discern it and they can sense it. And it'll ruin what God wants to do in your life. There's a few properties of leaven that just make sense. Uh, it doesn't take very much to change everything. So too with pride, it can ruin everything very easily, just a little bit. Uh, once the yeast is added, it just swells up. You guys ever seen? I, I was making bagels at the Upper Room Coffee House and Bookstore, and we would use two and a half tablespoons of yeast per batch, and you would just add that in, and all the salt and the sugar and the flour and the cinnamon and the raisins and all that stuff. And it was kind of, you know, the jalapeno Swiss and cheddar scallion and the basil mozzarella parmesan, all those stuff. You know, you guys hungry yet? And we were making all these bagels, and from time to time, you'd get four dozen batches going at once, and you're just hustling. And then there'd be this one weird batch that just never 
swells. Just never, you don't know, you're like, oh, I think I forgot some stuff in there. And you would forget the yeast and it wouldn't impact it. But after you put the yeast in, it impacts. <laughs> just a little leaven. That's all we need. Just a little leaven. <laughs> the whole thing. The whole thing's off the rails. The Lord knows how to deal with our pride. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. So what's Jesus say about it? He says, beware. Just a simple question. Are you aware of hypocrisy in your life? I'm so thankful for the Bible that it comes up in, in Luke 12, because I probably wouldn't necessarily wake up every morning, or even this morning, or tomorrow morning, and say, Lord, am I hypocritical? And is that hypocrisy, is it really dangerous? Is it going to distance me from you and diminish my witness towards others? I wake up like you, and I've got alarms in my body and my soul that say, you better deal with that. You better be aware of that. That's going to take you down. You need to confess that. You need to watch that. And he says, be aware of hypocrisy. And if you're smart, you would just write this down and say, Lord, just search my heart. Am I a hypocrite? Do I want other people to think better of me than I am for, for that reason alone? And repent of that. And then maybe seek to be a better person. Okay, for the sheer purpose of being a better person, let that be then what carries you and that worries you. Jesus just says, beware. Verse 1, look at verse 2. He says, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden which will not be known. Here's another warning against hypocrisy. Jesus says there's a principle that even if you're trying to fake it and pretend and hide stuff, it won't work. No matter what you do, whatever you're hiding will be revealed, and whatever is secret will be made known. Now, this is a principle that is both exciting for the things that are good and great and grand, but it's also scary for those things that are secretive and not cool and that we're trying to hide. And if we're going to put our big boy and big girl pants on today, we need to be aware of this. And let me just underscore this. There are principles that God has given to the world that we live in, that if you would, now God in heaven sits back and watches these principles just take care of themselves. A lot of times we want to blame God for certain things that happen. Or find, who's in charge? What's happening? God's like, that's, that's the rules. It just works that way. I'm not, don't blame me. I set the rules, gave you the book, and you push this button, you push that button, and boom, everything explodes. Here's one of the rules that God has given to us in this world. Everything that is secret will be revealed. Is it because God's looking for things to reveal? Oh, I'm going to make that known. I'm going to rip back the veil. Here's the deal. God doesn't have to do it. It's the very nature of sin and righteousness in our world. It'll just show up. Again, if you're doing righteous deeds, living a great life, and wondering, is it all going to count? The answer is yes. It's going to be revealed. As a matter of fact, have you ever done something super noble and right and grand and just thought, man, I need to take a selfie right now? And put it on Facebook because that's how everyone needs to know I did it. That's the challenge and temptation. God says, no, no, don't worry. Don't, you know, I'll make sure that all things that are hidden are revealed. That's a good thing. But the things that are also secret, it's a warning. And Jesus doesn't want us to get caught up in stuff. It's kind of like living on the coast. You ever, you ever tried to spray paint over rust here on the coast? You ever done that? You live in Newport, so it's like, what's, is there any other way to paint, you know? You go to Walmart, and you get that, like, that, that can of Rust-Oleum. Stops rust in its tracks. You're like, yeah. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> There's no, you can't, you can cover it up, you know, for like three months, you know, and then it comes back, and, and that's just the way it is. You got to keep touching up, because the rust is under there. And so, too, the Lord says, don't, don't cover stuff up. 
with your hypocrisy. It's just, it's not going to work. You may be able to buy yourself a week or two or a month or four, or even a year or more. It will be revealed. There's that story in the book of Exodus where Moses is a young man living in Egypt and he sees the injustice of the Egyptians and he kills that Egyptian guy, commits a crime, even though it was out of defense to a slave. And he buries that Egyptian in the sand. Remember, he freaks out a little bit. He's just a young guy, buries him in the sand. And that night goes to bed, and the winds blow that night and uncovers this Egyptian guy. Moses wakes up like, man, I'm glad I covered that up. And he sees the front page of the paper, and there's this dead guy, you know. And he is the gig is up. And he takes off, and you, guys, you don't know the story. Anyways, read the book. It's in the book. It's in Exodus. And it's a principle that anything you cover up, It'll, it'll, it will be revealed. Now, now, Jesus here, again, looking at these two contrasting enemies, popularity, bunch of people, hypocrisy and Pharisees, haters. And he looks at his boy and says, guys, I'm going to lay down some principles here because I love you. I don't want you to blow it. I don't want you to be like these hypocrites. It, it's all going to be revealed. I don't want you to fall into that. And so the word for you or for me today is whatever you're hiding, you can't, it just stop. Do, do whatever you need to do today to deal with it, for today. Don't wait any longer. And for you who don't have anything hidden right now, that's good news, great job. For those of you who have a little bit of sand and every day you show up and put some more sand on there, you know, and just kind of just pray for no wind, you know, in the forecast. Again, let me just say this. It's not because God hates you. God's mad at you. It's a principle. God says, until this sliver comes out of your finger, there will be pain infection you guys have had slivers before have you not just a little guy you know it's like ah, ah ah everything hurts you know someone someone says your name ah that hurts my you know everything hurts until you just get this stupid little sliver out and even my kids they get slivers and they're so afraid of the tweezer you know and all the rest and i tell them look it's gonna hurt you're gonna cry i might even have to cut your finger wide open you know <laughs> right right then, then you don't do any of that you just get in there and you get the sliver and when it's gone they're ah, ah. Even if it's little blood, you know. Anyway, God says, I love you. I want that out, whatever the case is. There's a warning here. Verse 2 again. Don't be a hypocrite. It's not even going to work. There's nothing covered which will not be revealed nor hidden which will not be known. Maybe some of you guys read this in the news last year. I think it was August that it surfaced. A guy by the name of George Klein. He had been hailed as a World War II hero. He was indeed a World War II veteran. He had served. And yet somehow along the way, he picked up a, an additional story to his experience. And he somehow included his own story in storming the beaches at Normandy and climbing the wall, meeting a German bayonet and getting stabbed and breaking his leg. And all this crazy story that everyone believed and cross-referenced and it all made sense. And he received a purple star and a bronze star and he got all these awards. 96 years old last year. And some historians were doing their work and cross-examined and they said, I I don't think you were there, George. And when they confronted him, 96 years old, for over 20 years, he's been to events, been flown out to Normandy, he's been there, he's got all the suits and all that. They approached him at 96 said, we don't think you were there. And he took a big gulp. He said, I wasn't. Made it all up. Made it all up. Almost made it to the grave celebrating this, but instead at 96, man, the winds blew it away, and man, God forbid... Can you imagine the celebrations that George had to sit through? People saying, thank you for doing that. Uh, yeah, no problem. It was my honor. You know, whatever. It's not even, not even glorious. 
And he got caught up in a lie. Now, the guy deserves honor. He was a war vet. He served, but he just, he, he wanted people to think better of him than he really was. Beware of that. It, it will find its way to the surface. Look at verse 3. This is uh, one of the verses that scares me. It's one of the verses as a younger person. Even now I read it. I'm like, huh, hopefully that's not true. And you just keep reading, you know. Like it, just, just so you know it's true. Verse 3. You, ever, you have those verses? Are you guys honest enough? You're like, oh, I'll have to read that later in King James. Maybe it makes sense, you know. <laughs> Therefore, verse 3, whatever you've spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed in the housetops. Like, I just want there to be an asterisk, you know, and Jesus saying, but not everything, just the great, you know, not everything, Luke. Can you imagine if we just took last week for you, just last week, just seven days, and put up your thoughts and, and intentions on the screen here for all of us to watch, just a week's worth, okay, not even your whole life, that would be embarrassing, but a week's worth. You know, how many of you guys would show up to that service, sit in front row with popcorn, you know, <laughs> you guys ready for this? This is going to be great. Go ahead, roll the screen out. Not even an hour would be just demoralizing. So what, this, this is real. Jesus says, hey, I love you guys. Just, I love you. I love you. Just be careful. Careful what's going on because you're going to get, you're going you're gonna to fall into temptation. There's two camps. Jesus looking at the 12. Two camps. Oh, I want to be popular. So I'm going to say stuff that's not true. I'm going to follow this crowd. Or I'm going to be a hypocrite because I want to be powerful over here. Whatever the case is, I don't want to... Look at the Lord as my main judge. I want to be accepted by the people around me. And again, the, the first principle I put to you guys for consideration is just no matter what's happening, Jesus is doing stuff. Just believe it. Even if everything's upside down right now. If your whole family's falling apart, you can believe that Jesus is still doing stuff. Take it to the bank. Celebrate. You can take communion with a smile on your face today. Secondly, this principle should help you in moving forward. I just want to just, maybe I should just shut up a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't talk as much. Whatever you say in secret, whatever you do, it's going to be revealed. What, what, what are you thinking? Even last night, my wife and I went to an event and a uh, Young Life banquet, and we came home, and we are just kind of processing the night. And I had some more words to say to her about the people I interacted with and how it went. And I just chose to shut up. Even with my wife, I'm just, I'm just not going to talk. Because I'm meditating on this. I could talk about this conversation and that person and my thoughts, and I'm just praying that, Lord, would you just make, me more, just make me more concerned about what you think and not what I think and others think. And it's really fun just to zip it. And I think Jesus is saying, be careful what you say here. Look at verses 4 and 5 as we keep moving. And he says, and I say to you, my friends, I like that, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him. After he is killed, has the power to cast him to hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Jesus is helping them to avoid hypocrisy, this popularity contest. And he helps them to see how to do that. He says, guys, th there's going to be a judgment day. There's going to be an end. And I want you to fear the one who's actually in charge of that day. You want to live your life well. You want to be liberated, validated, taken care of. You want to be set free from all the pitfalls? Think about what God thinks of you more than what other people think of you. Then he gives us his illustration of sparrows and hair. Okay? Kind of, kind of weird segue. Verse 4, he says, hey, the worst that anybody can do to you is kill you. Have you considered the sparrows, how cute they are? You know, you're like, what are you what's going on here? You're like, <laughs> Jesus says, you having a bad day? Don't worry about it. The worst they can do is kill you. 
I don't know about you, but like breathing's on my top 10 list every day. Like I just want to stay breathing, like kind of just big deal. Jesus says, no, don't worry about that. It's not a big deal. You should worry about the one, though, who after you're done breathing, okay, can send you to hell. That's the one you should be concerned about while living. And if you're concerned about that one, the one that can actually kill you and then send you to hell, if you're, if you're, if you're worried about what he thinks, you're going to have a good time. Don't worry about what they think. Don't worry about what they think. If you worry about what God thinks, guess what? You're going to be great. Once you give God just maybe a few thoughts per day, start there. God, do you, do you like me? Do you, do you like this? Are you okay with this? Once you begin to have that conversation with the Lord, it grows and it grows and it grows and your smile enlarges and your purpose and your foundation and your power and your freedom. Is, is God pleased right now? Does God, hey God, they hate me. Ooh, they love me. Ooh. God, what do you think? I know how many hairs you have. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Kind of weird, but that's cool, you know. And the Lord gives us this illustration for us to believe. Because right now, you're going to live in either one of two camps or on the road. You're going to be striving for power, popularity, prestige, like these guys did. And like the disciples may be tempted to. Jesus here is giving real talk, though. He says, hey, don't be afraid. The worst thing they can do is uh, kill you. And uh, if you want to stay away from hypocrisy, don't worry about what others think of you. And by the way, if you're going to live for Jesus, just note this. Because you're going to leave here in just a few minutes. We're almost done. Not really, but we're almost done. If you're going to live for Jesus, you, you kind of need to stop worrying about what other people think of you. Otherwise, you're going to fall apart. The Bible says that the fear of man is a, you can talk, snare. Not, not a snare drum, okay? That would be cool. That's not cool. It's a snare, which is a trap intended to catch prey and kill it. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, to fear man, to, to be concerned what they think and how they feel. It'll trap you, and it'll ultimately kill you. And you can leave here today saying, I'm a Christian. I want to be primarily concerned with what God thinks. And if I'm concerned with what God thinks, I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love myself even. I'm going to love the people around me. And if they hate me, like Jesus was being hated, or even if they flock to me and I get some popularity, got 48 friends on Facebook, this thing's taken off, you know. And God says, cool, what are you going to do with that? Well, I'm going to worry primarily about what you think of me. And if you have given your life to Jesus, you're going to have to accept some form of suffering or rejection or choice. You're going to be hated by somebody. It could be a family member. It could be a best friend. It could be a coworker. Uh, it could be another business. You're going to be an outcast and on the outside at one point or another. In a conversation, social setting, I remember one time rafting down the Rogue River. And I'm a creationist. I believe that God created the world just as he said he did. I have no problem with it whatsoever because the God I believe in can do miracles. And so when he says I did it, I believe it, and that settles it. And so I was rafting with these guys and these educated, you know, guys. And they were talking about evolution and, you know, billions of years and Snake River and all of that. And I just, I, I believe that, you know, that the, the river came after the canyon. The canyon was formed through cataclysmic volcanic eruption and all the stuff that we saw witnessed in Mount St. Helens and all that. And they just laughed and laughed. I cried and cried, you know. I didn't cry. But they, they, they thought I was Looney Tunes. You're crazy. You're crazy to believe that. And you're going to suffer some form of rejection or persecution. 
And Jesus says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the people that can, they, they just, they're just going to kill your body. It's not a big deal. That's what he's saying here. This is real talk. Now, you and I probably aren't going to die, like, in reality. No one's going to, like, actually do that to us because we're babies. We're here in America. It will happen, though, in the world. People will die. Christianity is the most persecuted religion still uh, every single year. Annually, anywhere from 100 to 250,000 Christians are martyred every single year. Their lives are actually taken from them. It's a big number. You and I, we need to, though, settle up to the fact that I'm just not going to be the popular one or I'm not going to be understood, or I will be even mocked. Don't be afraid of people. You're going to suffer in one way, shape, or another. Who should you fear, though? He says, fear the one, verse 5, that can kill you and then put you in hell. Now, some of you, when you hear that, you're thinking, well, that's pretty rough. It kind of makes me mad, actually, to think that there's one who has that power. Nobody should have that power over me. Just so you know, God created everything, and we're on his green earth, and we're like, oh, I can't believe I'm here. And he gets to decide the rules, and he is loving, kind, and just, and has given to us everything we need in order to not only not break the rules, but once we break the rules, to find forgiveness from breaking the rules, and therefore receive forgiveness in our lives. And he's given everything to us, yet there are those who fear not God. He says, oh, don't, don't do that. And there are people who are right now not fearing God, living in the fear of man, marching towards hell. They're living a life that does not respect God. They're living a life that does not trust God. They're living a life that does not have God. And when they die, their lives will not have God. There will be no trust of God. There will be no respect of God in the afterlife. The simplest way to understand hell is people who don't want God will die and then not get God. And an eternity without God is hell. Okay, fill in the blanks. Will it have fire and worms that don't die? Yes. Do I have to go there? No. As a matter of fact, in order to get to hell, you have to step over Jesus' dead body. You ever heard that saying before? You're not getting in here. Not unless you go over my dead body. And Jesus would say, no one's going to hell. Unless you you have to bypass me. Fear the one who has control of your eternity. Do not live apart from me. A couple days ago, Stephen Hawking, famed scientist and thinker, died and to my knowledge he died apart from acknowledging god in any way of respect or awe for sure and as far as i know he did not look to jesus for the forgiveness of his sins this this man one of his quotes before he died was this stephen hawkins i regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail He said, there is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. And I'm here to tell you right now that Stephen Hawking has realized that it is not a fairy story. That his brain is not a computer with failing components. That he was created in the image of God with a soul that needed to be reconciled with God. And instead, from my understanding, Stephen Hawking rejected God and will then for eternity not have God as his companion in suffering and shame. <sighs> Jesus is adamant. He says, you want to be concerned about something? Okay, be concerned about what God thinks about you. This is crazy in our day. We're so, we live in a weird time, do we not? Is this PC? Am I going to get in trouble for that? I've thought that. Am I going to get arrested? Are they going to take away our licensing? What's going to happen if we take a stance? Is this going to be considered hate speech? 
We're so concerned about being politically correct. We're so concerned about not offending anyone, while at the same time, no one is concerned about offending God. Wouldn't it be awesome if you just asked yourself, is this going to offend God? And I'm not lobbying for being weirdos and pitchforks and fighting people. Okay, so I wanna, but who, who, who are you more, Jesus is saying, who are you more concerned about? Don't worry about them. Don't worry about people that can just mess with you and give you a little bit of prestige and power. Right? That's not real. Don't worry about that. Fear the one who can take you to heaven or hell. Don't offend God. Now, lest you think God's like kind of crazy right here, I think Jesus, he, he shifts real quick and he gives this illustration of hair and sparrows. Okay, you're like, oh, God's crazy. He's so nuts. He's like, no, no, I actually love you. And he goes on to say this. This is really funny to me. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins and not one of them is forgotten before God? He, he brings it down now to a heart level, talking about little birds. In those days, sparrows would be sold for just a couple of pennies and they were kind of considered like a little snack bite, if you would. Kind of like if you go to Clearwater and get those little chicken miso drumettes. You ever had those before? Oh, or Zabos, you can get like three or four different kinds of wings there. Or maybe on Monday night at the Tap House, pizza and wings. You guys ever had those? Just the little wings. These are like little sparrows and just kind of little guys. And, and Jesus says, There's not one sparrow is forgotten. Did you know that on average, I got it written down here. I, I don't want to misquote because this is very important. 50 billion chickens per year in the world are killed for food. 137 million per day, okay, chickens. I was reading in the National Geographic a couple weeks ago while I was waiting for the doctor about this one plant in China that processes 11,000 chickens per day. Now, just go there. 11,000 chickens per day. Chicken, you know, it's all chicken. You do it, chicken. Ah, chickens, you know. And Jesus says, hey, guess what? I want you to know something. Not one bird gets processed without the nod of God. He knows it all. Not one. Billions per day. Billions. And Jesus says, not one of them becomes Marfar chicken without God's approval. <laughs> we have a little backyard at my house, and it's springtime, right? And so the birds are coming out. And my kids, they're homeschooled kids, so we've got to give them a little bit of credit. Well, you know, they've they got a disadvantage to normal kids. You know, they only see kids, like, at the grocery store and stuff. And Sunday school. Homeschool kids. Anyways, so my, my kids, they love birds. They're sitting there eating their, you know, Cheerios, and like a, a, a robin will land. Dad, come look at this robin! You know, I'm like, okay, you know, is it, is it got two heads? What's going on, you know? No, it's just a robin. Dad, there's a robin and a blue jay at the same time! You know, I'm not kidding. Like, it's, it's the best thing they've ever, they've never seen morning cartoons, so this is what they get. They get birds. And they love the birds. They, my, my kids spend their own money on bird seed, and we buy birdhouses. It's just, it's, I don't know, some of you think that's just for the birds, but my kids love it. And Jesus says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper? And not one of them is forgotten. Can I just say this? He, he says, I, I know them all. One of the biggest holes in your heart is being forgotten. As a matter of fact, right now in your finances or your health, your marriage, your your abundance of kids and the stress or maybe the lack of kids your infertility whatever whatever it is that you're dealing with okay you, you probably feel forgotten from time to time you just feel forgotten i read about a pastor who's in turkey he's been in turkey he's been in a turkish jail for over 562 days i saw it on facebook last night it's probably not true 
but he said in his writings to his family, the biggest fear is that he'll just be forgotten. And I thought, man, forgotten. Jesus says no one is forgotten. Not one of those birds gets processed there in China per day without my knowledge. I know it. Wouldn't it be awesome if you who are struggling with your own sanity today, popularity, power, all that, the Lord knows exactly what I'm going through. He's in love with me. So in love with me is he that he knows the hairs on the top of my head. That's what he goes on to say in the next verse. Did you know that the average redhead has 90,000 hairs? And the average brunette has 120,000 hairs on top of their head. And the average blonde has 145,000 hairs on top of their head. I didn't know that, but Google told me so. <laughs> here's something about hair, though. Hair's kind of important. As long as you have it, it's important. When, it, when you don't have hair, other things become important, like your golf swing or, you know, how clean your car is. You know, when you lose your hair, it's, you, other things. But if you have hair, it's important to you. As a matter of fact, if you've ever seen a woman with a fresh haircut, wise men, pay attention. Say, hey, I like your haircut, even if you don't like it. Just say, I like your hair. I mean, it just changes everything. People like their hair. And Jesus is saying here, I know how much hair you have. It's weird. You've probably read this before. That's cool. He's serious. He knows them all. Your challenge is to believe it. Does he really know me that well? Last night I was thinking of a few things that I'm concerned about, that Luke Frechette is involved in, and how it's going to impact me directly, and how people will think of me. I was just thinking about that because you do the same thing. Your business, your ministry, how will this impact me? And I began to meditate on this truth. And the Lord says, I'm thinking about you. I like you. Even if your NCAA bracket is busted, I still like you. Even if you fail in this event, even if that doesn't go well, even if you didn't get the likes you want, I like you a lot. And I began to just think that. I was like, holy smokes. Lord, you know how many hairs I have and why they're turning gray prematurely. And you know all that. And, and to freak out a little bit, living for an audience of one. Jesus here is about to die. He's weeks away from the cross. And in this moment of heart, he says, guys, you're going to be forced and tempted to become popular or you're going to want to be powerful. And guess what? God loves you. Don't worry about everyone else. He loves you so much. You're not forgotten, even if they kill you. But what if they kill me? God knows. He's able to meet you on the other side. Verse 8, he goes on to say, also I say to you, Whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. Now, when you read this verse and you're a fan of Jesus, you buy it, you believe it, you're into it. You've got to confess me before men. And the Son of Man, that's a, it's a term reserved for the Messiah himself. You, know, you can't just take that term. I'll call myself the Son of Man this year. No, you don't do that. He calls himself the Son of Man. And he says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you, confess you before the angels of God. Now, saying things like this will get you crucified, just so you know. Okay? Or put in the loony bin. You can't say stuff like this unless, of course, you're God. For me, who believes that Jesus is God, I say I read this. I'm like, that's cool. For those of you who are still wondering, did Jesus claim deity or any kind of special position? Right here. Can you imagine telling somebody, in order to live well, you got to confess me before men? I'm like, what are you talking about? Unless you're Jesus Christ. And he says, this must be made. You must be ready to confess me before men, and I will confess you before the angels of God. He goes on in verse 9 to say, he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And this is a decision you have to make before you have to make the decision, okay? You're going to have to make a decision in the upcoming days. Am I going to confess the Lord before men or not? Am I going to wear a Jesus' real shirt if I own one? 
Am, am I going to confess my loyalty to him if called on the carpet? You need to make the decision before you're asked to make the decision. The decision needs to get made today. I'm going to do it. I remember when I was 10 years old, my family went to church. We lived in Minnesota. None of my friends went to church. They just weren't church people. We were, and I was ashamed of it, I remember. I remember we'd come home on Sundays from church, and I'd be wearing my slacks and my shirt because we were a religious family, you know. And I would come home, and my friends would run over. Where you been, man? Uh, grocery shopping, for sure, you know. They're like... They'd look at me like, what? What are you wearing, dude? I'm like, uh, Cub Foods, man, grocery store. What do you think, you know? And I was so embarrassed. Wouldn't tell them where I was because I just had this shame in my heart. I remember years and years later at the Southern Oregon University campus with Eddie Townsend. He'd just gotten saved, and we were there ministering to people. We were walking through the dormitory, and it was before school began. It was full of football players, okay, kind of jocks, you know, and all the studs were there. And we walked through, and I was just kind of hey, guys, how you doing? Just keep walking. Eddie Townsend stops. He says, hey, listen to me. And I'm like, uh, I'll get the car, you know. I'll get the car. What are you doing, dude? You know, these are jocks. Like, these are the dudes. And Eddie says, if you're a Christian here, I want you to stand up right now. Because Jesus said, if you deny me before men, he'll deny you before his angels. And if you confess me before men, he'll confess you before angels. So if you're a Christian, stand up right now. I'm like, dude, I'm out of here, dude. I was like, what are you? And like four or five guys stood up. A couple guys like kind of slowly like, what in the heck? A couple guys were fired up, man. They said, these are Christians. These are the guys who are standing. I couldn't believe he made these guys stand up and confess. But he warned them, if you don't stand for me, you'll fall for anything the world brings to you. Remember the context of our story this morning? Jesus with concern in his eyes knows what's going to happen. He's going to die soon. They're going to be left with the power of God, with the words of God. There's, the religious system is already in play. They're going to get some of them sucked into it if they're not careful. They become hypocrites. want people to think more of them than they ought. There's going to be popularity and the fear of man. And Jesus says, you need to make a decision before you make a decision. In the next couple of verses, Jesus brings up what's known as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to rush through it. And, and so we're not going to teach it today. But I want you to, I'm just going to read it and I want you to come back next week and we're going to learn about it. Verse 10, he says, And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Jesus here, in this teaching, has used pointed words and heartfelt analogies. Fear the one who can kill you and then send you to hell, which is your just reward. But know this, God loves you. More than he loves the sparrows, you will not be forgotten. He's numbered your hairs. He's intimately concerned. You know those days when you have a bad hair day, right? They're the, the worst. It's like, what happened? You're aware of it. Or those days where your hair's on point and you just want to go out in public. <laughs> Either way, you're aware. And, Je and Jesus says, I'm always aware i love you i love you i have i have given to you the words of eternal life and i'm wanting you to focus on me it will bring joy to you immediately the bible says it this way and i'm gonna have the worship team come up and lead us in a song proverbs chapter 9 
right around verse 10 or 16 or somewhere. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Can you imagine that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning. When you figure it out, what? I'm not God? <laughs> no. Wow. All of a sudden, wisdom is yours. It's the beginning. There is a God and I'm not him. Theology 101. Oh. Now, the opposite is the fear of man. It's a snare. It's a trap. It'll lead you nowhere. God says, I want you believers to walk in the fear of the Lord. Some of you more immature believers are mad at that. I don't want to be afraid of God. I'm not afraid of God. Listen, fear is similar to what you would have in the presence of a lion. Okay? You would respect that lion. You would watch that lion. You would be in awe of that lion. And at the same time, you would have a healthy fear of that lion. That lion's bigger than me. It's better. It's incredible. It's amazing. I don't even, what's going on in that lion's mind? You ever just stared at a lion before? They're so stoic, like Aslan. And the Lord says, I, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To remove yourself from the throne of your own heart, to remove yourself from the center of the universe, and say, there is a God and I'm not him. And then wisdom will be yours. Joy will be yours. You won't be a hypocrite as easily. You won't be swayed into popularity and power as easily. You'll be set free. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now and close your eyes. And we're going to pray and ask the Lord to give us the fear of the Lord. Jesus, it's interesting in this portion of scripture, you said four times, don't be afraid. But then you also said, fear him. And, and I believe, Lord, that this is the secret of life. This is how it works. That there are enemies and battles. There are tricks and traps. What are they going to think? How's that going to work for me? What's going on? And we find ourselves trapped. And then the real issue does the Lord love me? Do I care about the Lord? Do I fear him, the one who numbers my hairs, the one who orders my days? Do I fear him? If the answer is yes, then you know you're taken care of. He's taken care of everything. You can smile at the table of communion today. You can respond with gratitude in the midst of your depression, in the midst of your divorce, in the midst of your bankruptcy, in the midst of your loss, you can say, my God has not forgotten me. I live in a world of chaos, and my God is still good. And if you don't have that today, Jesus would say to you, fear me. Confess me before men. I will confess you before angels. If you're here today and you would just say, I don't, I don't know where I'm at. or I, I want to be ready, though, to confess the Lord. Would you just raise your hand right now, Christian or non-Christian, or becoming a Christian? Maybe you're a brand new Christian. Raise your hand if you want to make a decision today. Lord, I want to be able to confess you. Whatever that means, raise your hand. I don't want to bow down to the world's standards. I don't want to fall prey to power, to hypocrisy, popularity. Raise your hand right now. Lord, I pray your blessing on my brothers and my sisters. Uh, my hand's up too, Lord, and I'm such a weirdo at times, but I want to confess you, Lord. I want to honor you. I want to smile. I want to say, I believe in God. I believe in what he said. I believe the Bible. I believe the story. I believe in heaven and hell. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. I believe it all. I believe what he said. 
suffer whatever consequences men bring to us, all they can do is kill you. Don't worry about it. You can put your hands down. And Lord, I pray for us that as we consider your love for us, that it's more intimate than we could ever imagine, more heartfelt, more caring, that that would set us free. We're good. You're aware. The eye is on the sparrow. So bless us now as we come to the table, as we commune, as we celebrate what you've done, knowing that we were on your mind when you died for us. We do what we do now, examining ourselves, partaking, Lord, of your broken body, spilled blood, proclaiming your death until you return. We do all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.